So who was here last week? Who's here last week? Hands up. Oh, everyone, oh, I don't want to put my hand up. Okay, so uh, as, I, as I said when we first came, periodically I'm just going to see if people are listening. So there were three points that I made last week. Who can remember the first one? Stand firm in Christ before the world. Stand firm in Christ before the world. Who can remember number two? I can hear, I can hear pages turning. People who make notes. Who can remember number two? Well done, Sophie. Good job, you. Now, if I'd remembered, I got some sweets upstairs, I would have thrown you right after the service, all right? After the service. There was one more. There was one more. It's been, it was prayed by both Kelly and Neil this morning. Probably the most important one last week. Remember who's got your back. The Holy Spirit, remember who's got your back. Now there's a reason that I, that, that I, that I uh, like every now and then, as you know, periodically, just to test who's, who's listening. Because it's important to listen, isn't it? Because what we're, what we're talking about, what we're sharing, what we're encouraging you to take away with you is for us, all of us, and I include myself in this, to grow closer to the Lord and to be his hands and feet in our everyday world as we go into the week. Yeah, we don't, not, none of us who stand up here and, and preach and share and, and encourage and inspire, you know, we don't do it just for, for a good jolly. It's for us to absorb and to take away with us and apply. And that is what we're going to do again today. Praise God. So let's pray before we open God's word. <coughs> well, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, for what is a gift to us. Lord, as we will see in a short while, none of us know the day or the hour, Lord, and today we are here uh, because you have graciously given us this day. And for that, we are so thankful. We are so grateful, Lord, that we can gather in this place, in a public place, to worship you and declare your name, where so many others around the world cannot do that. Lord, we lift up our fellowship to you. We lift up those in our fellowship who uh, may be struggling at the minute or not very well, Lord. We particularly remember Steffi, Lord, as... She recovers in, uh, in Austria. Lord, we pray for her and the family, Ben and the children. Lord, we ask for her speedy uh, recovery and her safe return back to her family, Lord, and back to the church here. Remember Mal, Lord, as he continues the morning journey, 
on the sad passing of his wife Carrie. But Lord, we do also celebrate that she is now with you. And there are many others, Lord, in the church who are going through trials and tribulations, Lord, and we just lift them to you now and ask, as you always do and you promise to, Lord, to be with them, to comfort them and to strengthen them for each day. And Lord, we also just thank you for the continued giving and offerings of your church here to the work of your church. Lord, we couldn't be in this building and do what we do and and care and reach and provide for everyone that we do throughout the week, Lord, without the provision of your people. Lord, so I thank you for their faithfulness. And I ask, Lord, that everyone that does give faithfully, that you bless them, Lord, with their needs in this life. We commit this time to you. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we ask that you give us hearts open, ears ready to hear the message that you have for us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, in 1990, the rock band Extreme, who's ever heard of Extreme? Yes. The rock band Extreme released a song called Money in God We Trust. Money in God We Trust. The chorus of the song goes like this. Money, my personal saviour. Money, a material lust. Money, life's only treasure. Money in God we trust. Money, I need more money. Just a little more money. Yeah, I need more money. This song was written by a band or by the band to make a statement, to make a dig at America's, particularly America's, lust for money, to the point of accusation that money has become God in many people's lives. The truth is that this desire for money is not limited to America, but a problem all over the world including in the UK, this incessant desire to have more money is rooted in the hearts of every human on the planet and is a byproduct of the fall of mankind. But what underpins the drive in our hearts to want more? What fuels that desire? Well, I would suggest to you that for the most part it comes from a place of seeing others with more than we have. Seeing others with more than we have. A deep jealousy within you could say which is birthed from a lack of contentment with what we have or what is in our own pockets. In the Bible Jesus calls this covetousness which by default is the feeling of having a strong desire for the things that other people have which we do not. But covetousness isn't just restricted to the desire for more money. We see it in other aspects of people's lives. 
Your friend turns up with a brand new iPhone, whatever iPhone we're on these days. But they turn up with a new iPhone and you're still two models behind. They show you, oh, you all instantly you want that. Oh, I want to get the upgrade. I want all those extra little bits that they've now got on their phone, which isn't actually much when you look at the, uh, the upgrades. Your sibling, maybe, has a new kitchen installed. And you go around and it's all sparkly new. And your doors are hanging off. Your mind starts to wander, doesn't it? You start thinking, oh, I really want a new kitchen. That jealousy starts to seep in. Your next door neighbour buys a new car and instantly the one that you have, which is perfectly fine, works perfectly well, oh, that's no good anymore. You're striving for that two-seat sports car. It's covetousness. And it's not even limited to possessions. Your work colleague goes on these wonderful holidays. You want that. You desire that. Well, I want to go to Barbados or wherever it is they're going. You start to cover the things that they're doing. And one which is a bit deeper, you desire your friend's husband or wife or their boyfriend or girlfriend because you think that they'll be better suited or they do things and they act in a certain way that you prefer. It's all covetousness. And we, there, there's a list I could have gone on to. The feeling of having a strong desire for the things that other people have which you do not. Now, there isn't anything wrong with seeking God to improve your circumstances if you are struggling and in the need of, of the essentials in life. Of course, there isn't anything wrong with that. In some respects, he encourages to do so, which we will look at next week for those who will be here. But to covet and to have a lack of contentment with what we have can be poison to the hearts of us all. And it really can be poison to our hearts. Today, Jesus is asked by a man in the crowds to intervene in a dispute <coughs> between him and his brother over the distribution of their inheritance. Though Jesus <coughs> does comment on covetousness of this man's heart, he also uses this opportunity to teach two other primary things. Firstly, life is not found in possessions. Life is not found in possessions. And two, all possessions are God's. So hold them loosely and use them wisely. So if you have Bibles with you, who's got their Bible, give us a wave. We seem to have gone backwards. And I saw some phones being lifted up there. Oh, Lord help them. <coughs> Wonderful. So we are carrying on today, Luke 12, and we're starting at verse 13. Luke 12, verse 13. And I'm reading from the ESV. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother 
to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge and, and an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, For this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. It's clear that this man obviously had a gripe about his portion of an inheritance which led him to make, <coughs> to make this request of Jesus. You know, we're not going to look at inheritance today, but if you are interested, Deuteronomy 21, Numbers 27, you can go and have a, a look at what God says about inheritance in the Old Testament. It wasn't uncommon for uh, people to come and approach rabbis with this sort of a dispute, this sort of issue and we know that they saw Jesus as a rabbi because they called him teacher. So they obviously saw him in that capacity. But note though that this, requ this request wasn't one where he was seeking advice from Jesus on this matter. Nor was it one in which the man wanted Jesus to be an intermediary in the dispute. It wasn't really even a request. If you read it, he wanted Jesus to support him and tell his brother to do as he wanted. Now we don't really know this man's motive, but I would suggest that the simple fact that after this man makes this request to Jesus and the fact that Jesus goes on to speak about covetousness, at least in the beginning, leads us and should lead us to conclude that this man's request is coming from a place of personal greed. Personal greed. A place where he was coveting and desiring what his brother had and he did not, which had driven him to demand this of Jesus and quite probably had affected his relationship with his brother which is very sad. It's what money can do. And what is Jesus' response? He turns around and says, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? An arbitrator being someone who is an independent person appointed to help settle a dispute. You see, Jesus isn't interested in getting involved 
And he, the reason he's not interested is for a very good reason. Jesus' mission in this moment is not to settle the personal disputes on matters as trivial as the distributation of inheritance. That's not his mission in this moment. He is the Christ, the Lord of all the universe, who has come to the earth to re-establish the kingdom of God upon the earth and offer all people hope and salvation. That was his mission. Now you may say, well, Craig, that dispute was a big issue for those brothers. Surely Jesus should not have neglected that. Maybe not. But when you consider the importance of Jesus' mission, even in the life of these brothers, such matters of monetary inheritance is nothing in comparison. It's better to have nothing but be rich in Christ than to have all the monetary inheritance and in the world but not have Christ. No, Jesus replied in this way because he was being careful not to get involved in matters that did not pertain directly to his current earthly mission in this moment. And for that, we should all be very thankful. Could you imagine what happened if Jesus got diverted off to his, off his mission? Mark, where would we be? Praise God he didn't. It is at this point that Jesus emphasises the first of the two primary lessons that he's teaching the people in this moment. The first, life is not found in the abundance of the possessions that you and I have. He says, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And if there was ever a statement that went against the culture in which we live today, yeah. it's this one. Yeah. All around us, all around us, we are surrounded by people living with an abundance of materialistic objects and then wanting more on top of it. Mm. <clears throat> the trap to covet is all around us every single day. It's on our TVs, it's in our magazines, it's on our radio, it's on our phones. It's everywhere, it's on, I don't even know, do you call them billboards or is that American? I don't know. But they're on the side of the road, everywhere you go. The lure to cover. Buy this new product. Special deal on this gizmo ending soon. Buy this, this new improved gadget. It's the best yet. Or it's our best one yet. How many times have we heard Apple do that? The latest iPhone that comes out, came out three months after the last one. Oh, it's better than that one. Mm. Why not, you know, why not download our app? Fill in your details and then next time you shop, all you've got to do is click one button. And then that product will be whisking its way to you. It's all around us, isn't it? All around, oh, you can't afford it. Oh, that's okay. Because you are a valued customer and we care about you. You can get it on, on tick. You can take out a loan. 
Oh, the trappings are there all around us, all the time. Here's a credit card. Here's a loan to buy, you know, whatever that, whatever it is you desire. All around us. Now, I do want to put a disclaimer in here. We've got to be careful. God isn't against us having nice things. He's not against us having nice things. And there is nothing wrong with having possession, money, or even earning a good wage. There is nothing wrong with that. As long as we are good stewards of what God has given us. I'll come on to that in a minute. The challenge is people rarely take heed of Jesus' warning that he, he warns in this passage to be on our guard against the desire for. The desire for, firstly, the things we see others have and desire ourselves. And secondly, I would add, the things we do not need but want. But for many people in the world, the more money and possessions they have, the more they feel they will be truly happy and they will have true contentment and true security. But deep down, it's a falsehood. It's a falsehood. I've been watching a documentary on a, on a sportsman who I admire greatly for the sport that he's in and what he's accomplished. Conor McGregor, an MMA fighter. On this documentary, one of the episodes, he says this, when my mum has a mansion, when my girlfriend has a car for every day of the week, and when my kids' kids have everything they wanted, then I will be happy. Then I will be happy. But the truth is that contrary to what the world says, money and possession isn't the root to true happiness. Who is? Jesus is. Jesus is the root to true happiness when he died on that cross for the sins of the world and opened a door of hope to all people. True life isn't to be found in worldly possessions irrespective of how much you have. It is found firstly in your relationship with God. Your relationship through Jesus and with Jesus. And then through relationship with each other. I tell you what, relationship with, with each other is more precious, not nowhere near as precious as Christ, but it is more precious than any materialistic object that you own. It's why relationship is such a big thing to God. And contentment, that comes via the only true possession that you and I need. The forgiveness of sins and the glorious life everlasting, which all can receive through faith in Jesus. What a wonderful gift. What a wonderful possession to have. That's where life can be found. Money, possession, and the allure for both is one of the biggest hindrances and snares to people coming to 
to faith and sometimes people remaining there. For those who, who are here, on the very first Sunday we opened up after COVID, I spoke on the kingdom of God. And at the beginning, I mentioned that the, the list of the, the top five subjects that Jesus preached on throughout his ministry, and we went through them. The fourth one of those was on money. That was behind the kingdom of God and God the Father. But when he came to the world, talking about the world, that was the first thing he spoke on. The first thing was money because of the danger of it. And, uh, and when I talk about money, everything that's associated with it. That's how much Jesus saw the trappings of it, understood the trappings of it. And this won't be the last time. It's not the first time and it won't be the last time that we read about this. D.L. Bock, a New Testament scholar, wrote this. The danger of the pursuit of possessions is that it can make one insensitive to people. Greed can create a distortion about what life is because the definition of life is not found in objects but in relationships, especially the relationship to God and his will. And this, 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 quite profound, this struck me. To define life in terms of things is the ultimate reversal of the creature serving creation and ignoring the creator. Let me read that again. To define life in terms of things is the ultimate reversal of the creature, us, serving creation and ignoring the creator. Now even though this whole passage is interlinked, Jesus goes on to share a parable which emphasises the second point that I believe he was wishing to make in this moment. That all possessions are his. All possessions are God's. Hold them loosely and use them wisely. Now I'm going to read this parable again and as I do, I want you to notice, if you will, a familiar reoccurring words that highlights the problem the man in this parable is suffering with. So let me read it again. And he told him a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build large ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. What's the reincurring word there? My. My. This man on this parable was consumed with greed and selfishness. I have nowhere to store my crops. I will tear down my barns. I will store my grain and all my goods in those barns. But let me ask another question. 
who does the plentiful land that produced this crop really belong to? Say it loud. God. God. He made it and it belongs to him. God was the one who allowed this land in which this man was stewarding to produce this plentiful crop. But instead of this man recognising this truth, living by this truth, giving glory to God for this abundance and being generous through the abundance of this field, he chose to hoard it all for himself, to be secure, to be contented and selfishly enjoy life himself. We know this because as soon as he's built these barns, these new bars, he says, I will say to my soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, drink, eat and be merry. Friends, it is a fallacy to believe that possessions that you own and I own and the money that you have and I have is yours. It's a fallacy. It ultimately is not yours or mine because everything come from God and everything is God's. Do not, do not fool yourself to think it's not. That, that comes with expectations from God. Paul makes this point in Corinthians when dealing with the challenges of, uh, around food. He uses the opening of Psalm 24 to remind those he's speaking to. He says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Again confirmed in the opening three verses of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Us humans who are made by God. There's something else the world struggles with. We were made, created by God, and who are incredibly cherished by God. If we weren't, he would never, Jesus would never have come. But we are still merely custodians of all he has made. Until the day we die in this life, and all those possessions that we have had are left behind. Because not one of us here knows the hour or the time. Just like the man in the parable. He thought he was going to live this wonderful life. What did Jesus say? You fool. You fool. can't take it in any of it with us. Not one, of, not one bit. This reality is emphasised by the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes when talking about the vanity of wealth and honour, they write this. It's Ecclesiastes 
Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb. And everyone come, uh, sorry, and as everyone comes, so they depart. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. God looks to us to be good stewards on this earth with all that he has given us to live, to thrive, to enjoy life. But we, we then abuse that. We then take that to another level. We then sit there and go, well, I, well, I earned this money, so it's mine and I'll do what I want with it. It's a fallacy. It's a trap. Now God, like I said before, God hasn't got a problem with you having money. He hasn't got a problem with you having possession. It's how we use it and in whom we recognise it comes from. That's why Jesus turned round to this rich young fool in, in this parable and says, Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for themselves and is not rich toward God. This man took such great care to lay up for himself treasures on the earth in the confident belief that he will have time to enjoy it, but failed to understand that none bar God knew when his time was going to be up. <coughs> resulting in all that hard work and all that toil that he built up to live a comfortable life in the future coming to nothing ultimately. Doesn't mean you can't save for the future. The point he's saying is just hold it loosely. I want to try, I want to make sure we get this balance here. I don't want everyone to start cashing in their retirement pots and saying, woo, let's, let's blow it all. That's not what Jesus is saying here. But we've got to hold it loosely. One of the tragedies of... Tra 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 <laughs> thank you, that word. Of the fall of humanity is how God's perfect creation has become so selfish, so self-seeking and egotistical. Attitudes that are not always clear in us, but they are there. They are there. Listen to... This week, just listen to the things you say. Make and make, take the time to listen in your situations at work or wherever you are and just see if you ever notice anything that might be selfish, anything that is self-seeking or egotistical. It creeps in. It creeps in. Because it lies in every single one of us. And the truth is that our adversary, the devil, loves nothing more than to exploit this fact. Wreaking havoc in our lives by dangling the carrot that the more you have, the better your life will be. Enticing you with the mindset that it's your money. You take it, you do what you like with it. 
You don't have to, you don't have to give anything to God. He's got enough. You enjoy it. You don't, you don't have to, you don't have to put, put that in your offering pot. You take that and you enjoy a good meal out somewhere. But did you catch the last statement by Jesus in this passage? Verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for themselves and is not rich toward God. I'm going to emphasise the point again. God never says that money and possessions are in themselves wrong. It's our attitude toward them both that is the difference between them becoming a noose around our neck or an opportunity for the Lord's glory. God never said that having possessions, having a well-paid job or even being rich in themselves are wrong. He's the one that often opens the door to us having those things. But it's what you do with what God has given to you that is important. Do you use them for your own glory? Or do you use them for the glory of God? In this passage, Jesus called this being rich toward God, as we just read in verse 21. But what does being rich toward God look like? Well, here's a few suggestions. And this is not exhaustive. We are rich toward God when we have an attitude of generosity with what we have toward others those who are less fortunate than us, having that heart of saying, Lord, all I have is yours. If you need me to give, if you need me to help, then I will do so. To those who are poor, to our friends, to our family, it's having that open heart. We are rich toward God <coughs> when we use our income and finances that he has given to us to support his work. We could easily, uh, if the Lord leads us this way, be having to look at developing this place or moving to somewhere else. or uh, That's going to require us to say, Lord, everything I have, you've given me anyway. So what, what would you like me to give? Just like we should be doing that on a weekly basis or on a monthly basis with the general running of the church. Lord, within my circumstances and what I have, what would you like me to give? I, I, I can only give 50p. Lord, you know what? If that's what you've called me to give, then I'll give faithfully. It's not about the, the, the monetary amount. It's your understanding of everything you have is his. And you coming before him on everything and saying, Lord, what can I do with what I have to, to give you glory? And donating, donating maybe to, as I know many people do, to, to, to other Christ-centred organisations. With what I have. It might not be monetary, you can only, might only be able to give you time. We are rich toward God when we invest our time and energy into doing the work and will of God for our lives and for the edification of others. And that will look different for every one of you. Every one of you. But when you only ever centre yourself and say, 
Oh, I'm too busy. My, 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 my week is too busy. What I'm doing is too busy. I haven't got time to do the Lord's will if he's calling me or leading me to do something. Yes, we can all be evangelists in our workplaces. That's, that's a given. But it's when, on top of that, God is calling you to serve or do something, whether in a church or somewhere else, and you say, Lord, I haven't got time. My job's too busy. Or, what, you know, whatever that looks like. is coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, the only reason I'm here, breathing, looking, and, and in this world is because of you. So what can I do and how can I use that time around life and, you know, and, and family to serve you? And last but not least, in the, the, the suggestions I'm giving, we are rich toward God when we come to a place of realisation that our security is in Jesus. Not in possessions, not in stuff that our security is in Jesus and that he is the treasure. Yeah. He is our treasure. Amen. And he is all the riches we will ever need. Yeah. Now next week we'll continue on to this when we start to talk about anxiety if you don't have anything. Jesus has a lot to say about that. Yeah. Today is all about greed and greed and having more than you have and not using it for God's glory and then on top of that wanting more can I call the band up please church there is, there is, there is something very liberating with God's help when we learn to start uh, overcoming these moments of coveting Learning to be content with what we have through Christ and in Christ. There's something very liberating when we walk, not as the world expects us to walk, by striving to find life and happiness in the latest iPhone, in the newest three, or, or sorry, in the, in the newest car, or in a bigger house if we don't need one. But instead, surrendering to and walking with the life giver, Jesus. And there is something liberating when we come to a place where we are able to wake every morning and with a, reali with a realisation in our heart that all I am and all I have is God's. He can do what he wants with it and I will do what I can to bring glory to him via it. So remember, be mindful of the danger of coveting. Remember, life isn't found in possessions. And remember that all possession are God, are God's. So hold them loosely and use them wisely. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you.